Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems. Everyone has a subjective, awe-inspiring viewpoint of our reality, and the goal of this podcast is to have conversations with unique humans. Eclectic Spacewalk means a broad and diverse range of Earth-based philosophies viewed from outer space. Send us any recommendations on who we should talk to next. But remember, we are not just a podcast. You can subscribe to our Substack newsletter and get first access to every podcast episode at eclecticspacewalk.substack.com. Connect with us on social media by following us on Twitter at eSpacewalk and the hashtag EclecticSpacewalk. Find us on Minds.com at EclecticSpacewalk. And as always, you can find everything on the website, EclecticSpacewalk.com. We want to talk with anyone over our shared humanity and best practices of life. Now, let's have a conversation. Hello, and welcome to Eclectic Spacewalk Conversations. I'm your host, Nicholas McKay. Today, we are joined by Brent Cooper. Brent is an independent political sociologist, filmmaker, and the founder and executive director of the Abstract Organization. Welcome to Conversations, Brent. Thanks for having me. So first off, Brent, uh, where did you grow up? Let's get a little bit about your background. Okay, <clears throat> I grew up in Vancouver, British Columbia, which is, you know, where people like Seth Rogen and Ryan Reynolds are from. Sure, sure. <laughs> um, I'm, BC I'm Bud. Third, yeah, BC Bud, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm 38. I'm an older millennial. And so, you know, you, you asked me to give a bit of sort of history and backstory. And sometimes I like to start with something light, you know, like 9-11. Okay, yeah, sure, sure. I think I was like 18, right, when that happened. So it was pretty formative, like, like wow, what the fuck's happening? You know, this sure. is like theatrical terrorism, you know, deep states, uh, war on terror, all this stuff unfolded. And prior to that, I was very interested in these types of things as a naive teenager, um, liked shows like the, the X-Files and uh, 24 for a little bit i'm very like uh like uh, ashamed of the fact that <laughs> I, I used to watch that show jack bauer was your boy <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is it just a guilty pleasure right never sure. anything more <clears throat> but um yeah sort of just really interested in and committed to understanding politics mm -hmm. from 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 that time and i was a, a late bloomer i didn't go to university until five five years after high school which was five years after 9-11 and focused on political science sociology eventually um, majored in international relations and then mastered in political sociology and really i was lucky as a student because i you know was not indoctrinated in social justice or any of that type of mm -hmm. um those type of uh, uh, tropes about university, but I, I had very good teachers and I studied exactly what I wanted. Mm. So it, it led me to the tough questions, the paradoxes and the contradictions between different theories and <clears throat> kind of on that track to become an academic because what else can you do, right? Right, and right, right. I, I learned that 90% uh, of sociologists became teachers became professors and that that didn't sit well with me because I would you know I wanted to see and I think the world would be better off to have more sociologists but more in different places too more in the media more in think tanks more mm. um, in various capacities so uh so 
Yeah, so I I was burnt out by the end of 2011 and decided not to pursue a PhD, um, or at least to take a break and work for a bit. Mm -hmm. I, I never I, I never did end up really getting sustained work uh, in the in 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 the field because, as I just said, 90% of sociologists just teach. So there, there's not a whole lot of opportunities, but that's, again, that's kind of the reason I chose it is like, let's do something novel, niche, needed. Um, and I think it's desperately needed today. So it's kind of like, you know, out in the wilderness, but, um, but it's through connections like this, like with you and others and the, the different um, colleagues we have that over, overlap where a lot of interesting work is being done. Right. And so when you were growing up, I mean, what were kind of your biggest influence? You said at some point in time, you know, the arts, like with, with shows and stuff, but like, mm -hmm. you bring us back to like when you were curious, you know, like, I, I mean, not to get to like when you, what were you doing when you grew up, but like, what were some of the books or the thinkers, or the influences before you might've changed them when you went to university, academia, et cetera? Yeah, I, it was definitely comedians and, and comics, people like okay. George, George Collin, for example, because he was, or uh, Bill Hicks is a great example, too, because they're doing a kind of social critique and analysis within the comedy. So I was getting a lot of my education through that. I also think I, I consumed a lot more documentaries than I did books. <laughs> uh, so it was hard, you know, to to find intellectual role models. Mm hmm. But, but, um, but they're, they're certainly out there. And it was, I think it was through comedy, especially in my, in my youth in the nineties, that was so formative in kind of um, figuring out what's true and what's, what's worth philosophizing about. Um, so yeah, I, I, when I try to think back to being a kid who, who my intellectual role models are, it's, it's hard. I mean, I could, I mean, the comedians are great though, because yeah. like you said, like the social commentary, I mean, if I, it, I think it, it, any one of us would love to be on stage and telling jokes and getting laughed at, you know, I think that's one thing that everyone has, has thought about at one time or the other. And anytime that I thought about it, it was not me like going up there, like doing knee slappers. It was like, you know, doing, mm. you know, social commentary, you know, Bill Hicks and, and then even more so that you can really press the stuff with George uh, Carlin when he did the, you know, uh, the bad words and stuff like that. Like, I mean, that, that changed a kind of generation to, you know, what, what if that didn't happen? You know, one of our futures could be that like, we'd still be in like language police territory that curse <laughs> words were outlawed, you know, by death mm -hmm. or something, you know, and it's like, well, we went this way that at least that, you know, is it, it was pushed on and, and stuff like that. So, I mean, I, I do agree with those, those two examples though. Yeah, we have kind of the reverse happening today anyways. You know, you have a lot of people that identify as conservative comedians, right? Who, oh, are, right. Not, who are not funny and who are always complaining, complaining about being censored one way or another. Yeah, <clears throat> that's a very good point. That's a very good point. Well, here, let, let's talk about... Um, you know, you're, so you, let's just get through your kind of academic journey. So, and, and I don't uh, mean to ask, but, but it kind of uh, came up when you were started talking that you had about a five-year break in between. Were you just kind of living it? Were you just hanging out? Like, were you, no, were you enjoying I was, life? <laughs> no, I, not really. I was, I was grinding away in a, mm -hmm. in a blue-collar job. And so that, that is a, a, a formative part of of my identity anyways and outlook so as a as an intellectual i want to represent you know the the, the common struggle mm. um which which is actually 
still pretty far removed from my experience. Um, but but nevertheless, I, I want to advocate for for a, a more equitable uh, society. And post capitalist really is the the best sort of capsule cap you know um, catchall term for that. But yeah, for five years, I, I kind of did nothing for two of those years okay. <laughs> on, on, on the on the front and the back of working for three years uh in um what would you call it um i i, I worked it's not just blue collar i worked like a roughneck job oh okay and, okay, and okay, i worked yeah, yeah. i worked i worked on tugboats um uh, uh with logs with log booms so i i say that because it's kind of in a way adjacent to all the other natural resource mm -hmm. sectors like mining or um or oil in the sure. sense that if you want to i don't know how it is today but i think there's always been quite a high demand and quite high pay for those jobs and in many cases they're dangerous jobs so they they should pay a lot Right. But but during that time, you know, I remember I was reading um, books like uh, Gwyn Dyer's Future Tense, you know, so I was reading about the Iraq war, uh, just trying to understand and trying to have a global perspective. And um, so I was only working because I didn't know at that point still how to go to university. That's why, right, right, like right. I say, I'm a, a late bloomer. It took me five years to kind of figure it out. But by the time I did... I was quite a good student, like I was not a good student in high school, but mm -hmm. university, uh, <clears throat> especially what I studied, it was just so enriching uh, and and really radicalizing in a way. Like if you start, you, you do media studies or feminist studies or Marxism or whatever you, whatever you do, it's going to open your eyes a bit and give you the conceptual footing you need to really take on these these um, different different power structures and stuff like that so so also part of my journey because of the timing was grappling with the with the waning of postmodernism right which which started mm -hmm. in the 90s but but really um by the mid 2000s it was you know there was what was being taught wasn't the complete picture. It was like the best a given uh, professor had in terms mm -hmm. of their, their curriculum, right? So I had to like uh, do a lot of self-directed research right. to, to get ahead in that regard. And that's, uh, that, that's what's led me on this path. And so, you know, post 2011, 2012, and especially since starting the abstract project around 2013, 2014, and then really uh, formalizing it more in, in late 2016, early 2017, is just to continually synthesize all these different threads, um, different research fields, different um, uh, special interests, uh, all in the context of, you know, globalization, within our lifetimes, within our, look, what is the change we're seeing happening over a 30 year period? Um, it's, so, there's something novel <laughs> from sure. all of history, something that even the best and brightest of the elites uh, have to admit that there's a sort of meta crisis that they, they can't articulate or that they can't, they, they certainly can't solve. You right. Know? And, and I think one of the biggest things that, that, that sums that up that we get to the bare bone or the bare 
bedrock is like just when we really look to scientists when they say we're in an Anthropocene, you know, we're in a mm. different, you know, geological record. And it's like, well, you can't really refute like geological time over something like we're doing something of some ways. And so like to, to, I guess, ground ourselves in that we're living in the Anthropocene, like that alone should ground us in, in how we look about life, how we deal with cultures and things. Um, but then I guess this would be a good time to, I guess, introduce people to the, to the concept of kind of metamodernism and then versus which you've kind of brought up in, in some of your writing as hypermodernism. And so I guess like maybe we should just like distinguish between that. It's kind of like different techno futures like we can we're going along these one paths and we take different paths of our history behind us uh and we kind of project them into our future and our present but like which way we go in that techno future is is kind of distinct on on how we critique it how we be honest in our language about it who um we fund and give credence to so i guess like let's just kind of unpack that a little bit yeah, I'll try to give a crash course on my version of, <laughs> okay, okay. of metamodernism because it starts it starts at the end of the Cold War. Okay. And and <clears throat> uh, as you may know, I only uh, came across this research later. Um, but Albert Borgman uh, sort of developed a theory uh, um, way, way, way before it was cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's writing in 1989 at a conference with a bunch of other people, right? So mm -hmm. the whole conference proceedings are quite interesting, but but Borgman is basically formulating a, a schism in postmodernism, you know, recognizing that the culture is waning, that there's some sort of transition happening. Um, and he named it as a bifurcation into metamodernism and hypermodernism. And so that was kind of lost academically, right? That was kind of uh, forgotten. And e even Borgman himself kind of didn't use that language further. He, he continued to write um, and write about things like uh, American democracy, mm -hmm. but without those terms. And so I think it was a missed opportunity, um, both uh, by him and by everybody else to, mm -hmm. not, to mm -hmm. not recognize these contributions, not to formalize it more because that's exactly what happened 20 years later right with with um you have post postmodernisms emerging various names about a dozen different terms um to go beyond postmodernism and then vermeulen and vandenacker you know formalizing it not including borgman in that in that synthesis whether it was conscious or just accidental um and various other authors, right? Gonzalez and o Okadiji, I think is his name. So, so there's all these sort of um, uh, uh, prescient kind of emergent uh, discourses that that um, I, I tried to synthesize later as all these other things are are coming online. And of course, uh, Hansi Frein Act kind of um, kind of. Uh, presents presents himself as um as as a as an embodiment of of these artistic metamodern values and cultural critiques that are that are already extant at that point um so it's it, to this day it's kind of a mishmash of all of that uh and and uh, you know as as we speak there's supposed to be a book coming out from perspectiva press which which I have a chapter in that's supposed to come out this month. It's pretty late in the month now. Maybe it's not going to happen. The, the, okay. 
but um, but that's that's a that's a full on book that has been in the works for a few a few years now to kind of draw together some of these uh, questions and authors and meta problems. Um, <clears throat> Are you familiar with um, Timothy Morton's work? You know, mm. like, uh, you know, like dark objects or mm. um, I mean, hyper objects, sorry, and dark mm. ecology. Mm. I mean, like nothing says uh, and Jeremy Johnson, one of my, uh, we, we did another podcast with him and we, we talked a little bit about this and how, you know, uh, COVID is a great example of like a hyper object, you know, it just pulls you in everything, single direction. It's just, it's just wants energy basically, you know, in, in itself and climate change is another way. Like, you know, it's entwined in almost everything that we can think of. And the only way to really think of it is through that, like, uh, entwinement, you know, that abstraction and stuff. Mm. And we'll get more into that. But like, I mean, I think, you know, that those are some, some of the interesting more descriptors uh, of our age. And so I don't know if you have any other ones that kind of go along those lines. Um, but I think, you know, Timothy Morton's uh, mm -hmm. hyper objects and kind of dark ecology kind of flirts with the same things. Yeah. Um, so, so Vermeulen and Vandenacker's work includes speculative realism okay. uh, and, and triple O. What oh, right, we're right, right. talking exactly. about as yeah. part of metamodernism. Um, and, uh, you know, we can say, okay, that's fine, because I find a lot of value in, in the hyper object concept too. Um, obviously, climate change is the best example, but the military industrial complex, I think Great people example. really need to understand when they invoke that term, they're yeah. talking about something very huge and irreducible and, and so many moving parts like Good point. You, you know, even people within it um, are, are, are disoriented or, um, uh, you know, just uh, caught up in some sort of ideology. Um, so I don't Very, think Stockholm syndrome through, through the entire <laughs> society, you know? Yeah, mean, like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. And that, that definitely links to hypermodernism. But what sure. I was going to say is I, I have reservations only because the modern monetary theory crowd, mm. uh, who I follow quite closely, they kind of disregard and reject um, speculative, uh, speculative realism, and um, speculative materialisms, and and that that kind of thing. And I'm I'm still trying to grapple with what the what the complete argument well, is. How, yeah, how so? Because like, because as I understand it. That, that's basically like, you know, we can just print print as much money as we want. You know, it's like, it doesn't mm -hmm. really matter like what infrastructure kind of things we need. Mm -hmm. We just need to get it done, you know? And so, because mm -hmm. before in the last couple of decades, it was, we can't do this. Oh my God, we're going to uh, debt, debt, deficits, all this other stuff. And then now this new theory has come out and said, no, like spend your way mm -hmm. into like prosperity, you know? And so like, yeah. I don't know if you can critique that, but like kind of maybe synergize those two things uh, for the listeners. Yeah, so MMT is becoming more salient and credible as a public discourse about public money, you know, mm -hmm. how money can be um, uh, spent and mobilized for, for public goods. And that, in its essence, is, all, is something that's always resonated with me since being a kid. Mm -hmm. Like, you look around as a kid, and there's lots of adult dysfunction that you can point out and understand. And be like, why is the world this way? You know, like... Mm -hmm. uh, and there's lots of reasons that that becomes uh, path dependent and, you know, entrenched. But, but uh, yeah, you can kind of, without being naive or magical about it, you can, you can imagine um, uh, just less military spending and more spending on um, public infrastructure, right? And that's sure. not, a, you don't even need to go into MMT to make that argument. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but um, 
when it comes to how they're at odds with the the uh, the metamodernists or speculative uh, realists, um, it, it's 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 a lot to do with kind of the you know how how they how they orient to the aesthetics of modernity, right? Whether mm -hmm, that's mm -hmm. whether that's um you know just the way uh, kind of cities are organized or big budget movies are made you know ten, tentpole, tentpole movies so they have a yep. really interesting um kind of reinvigoration of critical theory that i think maybe the spe the speculative realists aren't even attempting right right you know and so there's a kind of revival there and i'm and i'm down with it because it's um you know it it directly kind of uh, you know the mmters are also uh vocal about uh, advocacy for for queer stuff they say money is queer in fact and and therefore you know um black lives matter just as much as critical race theory right mm, and so mm. these concepts have become like punching bags for the right oh yeah sure Good. and Side and also just things things um i think objects that a lot of these theorists might distance themselves from Mm. Right. So it creates a, it creates a tension there. So what I guess at the, I might not be able to unpack all the intricacies of, of these conflicts, but at the end of the day, it lends to um, a kind of auto critique and skepticism of philosophical work itself. So, mm. I mean, to, to, to get into a position where you're problematizing Timothy Morton, whatever he's doing, that's a very hypercritical view. Mm -hmm. And if it's, if it's like, I, I just want to be on board with it if it's accurate. Sure, you know? sure. So you, so we're, so we're drawn to kind of a, a truth attractor wherever it might be, because I do believe that, that um, our fate when it comes to like um, logistically uh, dealing, dealing with climate change mm -hmm, depends mm -hmm. on some sort of meta theoretical convergence and new, new mm. um, sort of language uh, emerging that uh, more people can understand each other. Right, right, right. So way more in a cooperative vein in, in a lot of different abstract levels, like you said, in language mm -hmm. and, and like, even just how logistics happen. That's I, I, interesting. I, I want to kind of broad uh, pull in some threads. You, you said you you kind of did some roughneck work and stuff, and and uh, we were just talking about problems and, and problematizing and, and things like that, and then truth. And uh, one of the concepts I think you'll 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 know or is a heuristic that I, I like, and we can maybe get into more heuristics in this juncture is is key logs. And so it's like the idea of a key log is you know it, back in the old time you know they would throw these. Uh, big trees down the river and it would go from point A to point B where the mill is and they'd saw them up. But sometimes there'd be too many logs that basically would get in and get all crumpled up and, and stop and make like an artificial dam. And mm -hmm. then these dudes would like, there were specialty key loggers. They would go and then like get, you know, this is the most, one of the most dangerous jobs, I guess, probably in the history. You know what I mean? Like basically go on a floating you know, mm -hmm. wooden thing. And then mm -hmm. you have to identify which one is like the crux point, the key log that if you oh, okay. move that key log, then all the entire thing, it's, it's basically the most efficient way to undo a, uh, a backup, you know, like the one, the, mm -hmm. whatever the most lowest 
kind of like denominator is. And obviously there could be multiple key logs. We're not getting into that, but like a mm-hmm. key log is that like that that's one thing that you can just pop up and then mm-hmm. it just kind of uh, pops out. So I kind of want to look into th- that. Like there, there let's, I, ca- I guess, unpack is that there is a log there. You know, and a lot of people, mm-hmm. there's industries that packed up that like tell people that there's not a backup, you know, in the river. There's, there's, indus- and so let's, let's talk about a little bit about truth and maybe some of that like merchants of doubt. Cause we just talked about a hyper object in the military industrial complex. And one of the things that you just talked about in speculative realism and, and, and stuff is like, uh, or, or I guess it, adjacent is the manufacturing consent is that like all these military and, uh, people, they have first say on all these movies that are coming out to literally then make the public discourse be in that viewpoint. Hurt Locker, Black Hawk Down, you know, very U.S. centric, et cetera, you know, films. And then you automatically have almost a zeitgeist ideology coming forth from that that is not truthful. So, I mean, let's maybe unpack some, some of those things. And I don't know if you had heard the Keylog thing, but, but that's kind of one of the biggest heuristics that I, mm-hmm. I've been l- looking at recently. Yeah, I wasn't familiar with uh, with the terminology. Um, so that's interesting. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I never had to do any of, th- of that. Because what you're referring to is when they did send it down the river. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, free, freestyle, which, yeah, is, is crazy. But, that's you know, our ancestors. <laughs> that's our all... history, Brent. <laughs> exactly. Wild people. people doing... yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, we can't even Im- imagine, you know, the mega yeah. construction projects of the past and all the man- manual labor, but I, I didn't know the term key log, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's analogous to, um, I think it's called a keystone, you know, when you're mm. building, building an arch and the, the keystone is the last one you put in place that holds yep. it together. And if you were to take that out, it would, it would fall. Um, yeah. <clears throat> so, Oh, where to go with that? <laughs> well, I mean, it's just like when we were talking about, you know, hyper, like uh, the military industrial complex, like we were talking about hyper mm-hmm. objects and mm-hmm. something that's like, in you know, basically permeating through society. It can have its own like will, you know, and I just wrote an essay yeah. called Technopoly um, mm-hmm. that basically talks mm-hmm. about Neil Postman's book and how technology, you know, really has a, as a mind of its own. And, you know, us being the mm-hmm. inventors really you know, even though we made it, we don't have that. We're not the best judge yeah. if it's good or bad and mm-hmm. sad and how it's used and this. And then honestly, you can get to the point where, you know, fossil fuel or what, I mean, maybe not a demarcation of that, but like you can get to another hyper object that could mess the planet up and, and cause human extinction. And then right here, some of that hyper object may be even, you know, uh, polluting the discourse to then even let it happen that we are none the wiser, you know, and that's kind of like climate change in a nutshell and merchants of doubt and Exxon and that kind of stuff. Mm. So just trying to, you know, public truth and discourse. I was just trying to maybe riff on, on those kind of things. Yeah. There's a lot there. I mean, um, in, in the news on a regular basis, um, well, alternative news, but Steve Donziger is a, is a lawyer who went after Chevron and oh yes under, i haven't seen this case yes yeah, yes, yes he's been yes. he's been under house arrest for like two years or something right. and uh right. i remember listening to him on like democracy now like four or five years ago and just thinking like this is the real shit like this is this is a guy whose career it is to um really embed himself in networks of resistance to capitalism and and and, and change and and what I noticed though was that even back then the story wasn't getting enough 
support and credit, right? You'd mm. only, you only hear about it through outlets like Democracy Now. But um, so there's that, but also just in response to everything else you're saying about how saturated we are with military culture, like sure. it's it's so overdetermined, right? And there's so many assumptions baked in to these different uh, different f- film projects, like Zero Dark Thirty or whatever it is. <clears throat> but but uh, you know, to kind of play devil's advocate, what what pops into my head is I think his name's Mark Milley. He's like a, a American general. It's kind of went viral in the last couple of days oh, because yes. He he made some uh, positive comments, kind of with regard to critical race theory and that whole that whole moral panic, right? The whole the whole right wing hysteria, to call it what it is, you know. The, here you have a, a a general, you know, he's like on the face of it, like uh, um, not particularly um, political, but recognizes the intellectual aspect that um, that is prefigurative of war. Right. right. So right, here's right. a guy who listening to him, you, you can tell he's reasonable and actually wants to avoid war. Right. Yeah, Which is I, not I don't think I don't think he's the norm in, in, in the military industrial complex. I think he's an outlier who, thank God, has been very successful. Right. right and has right, sort of right, risen, right. risen the ranks. But um, yeah, you need you need more people like, like that, because. Well, he said it was what, well, you know, one of the biggest things is. He, he said that he needed to be well-read. I think it was operational yeah, yeah. awareness or situational mm-hmm. awareness was the key word he used. And it's like, he's not, uh, I mean, regardless, it, let's, let's just take it even from his most like objective stance. Like don't even give him, you know, let's have the most skepticism and the most criticism that he wants to go bloodthirsty, kill everyone. It's like, even at that level, you want to understand what the fuck is going on. You know what I mean? And it's like, who are, what is going on inside your ranks? What is going on in the outside culture? What is going on? And, and things. And it's like the fact that he's taking an intellectual humility of that. He does not know everything that mm-hmm. alone is, I think the biggest thing, because all these other people are saying, no, I know this. And the thing that mm-hmm. I, I am pushing knows it. And, and it's only right. And it's like the fact that he's saying, Hey, I don't know everything and I need to be well read. And I need to understand even things like Mao Zedong and you know all this other stuff and I'm not that like yeah it's like oh wait that that gets more on the intelligent side the more coherent side and and like what you were talking about muddying the waters it's like there's been a lot of uh incoherence you know and the fact that you you find some coherence with just you know basic basic common sense stuff of like having some intellectual humility learning and steel manning your own arguments by learning about what you're going up against it's like that's just basic debate tactics you know what i mean like you don't have to get too mm. crazy even military awareness so like even the fact that uh, of that is, is is an interesting thing uh that you, that you bring up so mark milley yeah kudos to him interesting um do you well do you have any other favorite heuristics uh i i mentioned the key log in in my ebook um tripping over the truth you know kind of having your own uh heuristics or having your own biases and then tripping over mm. them having them you know put forth in, in front of you do you have any other heuristics that you know you kind of love yeah well it's it's interesting you know before before the call you mentioned my film and you, you said you watched it and you're a fan and, and yeah. that's great because otherwise I can't invoke these things. Right. Um, <laughs> but, but in the film, there's, a, there's a, a fair bit about heuristics yep. and there's even a scene where the protagonist literally trips in the forest. He trips over a root. And the idea there was that, um, that, uh, you know, he was taking a, a self-administered acid test. Yeah. Right. So he was, he was 
uh, doing LSD and doing some self-exploration, running through the forest, <laughs> trips over a root. So it's like a very on-the-nose visual metaphor um, for for this. And and after after that point in the film, he you know has realizations. He kind of starts to have <clears throat> one epiphany after another. And earlier in the film, there's a bit about heuristics too. And, and mm -hmm. the example I use actually is uh, standing desks. Um, and this is totally off topic, but I'm just using it as an example because, um, you know, or, you know, set, set it and for, forget it is a kind of- Oh, Ronco? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I yeah. do that to my girlfriend all the time. I'm like, set it and forget it. And she had never seen those commercials. And it's like, that is hilarious that you just said that. Like, oh my God, that's Yeah. Funny. So we all operate on heuristics all the time, mm -hmm. partially without even knowing it. And so it's of so course. critical to know and to um, try to iterate on your heuristics. And of, of course, the point I'm making there with the film is that uh, uh, dr drugs can facilitate that. <clears throat> but also, you know, philosophy itself. If you're serious about a philosophical pursuit, you'll you'll come to those same questions and answers regardless. <clears throat> but um, yeah, nothing off the top of my head in terms of what what heuristics lately are the most functional. <laughs> right, right, right. No, no, that's that's good. But but like, um, then maybe let's move from heuristics to one of the. Um, videos that you did with uh, uh, the Stoa, which which was great. It, you went into kind of this, um, and we can get into some of these other things, but, but I want to key in on the five logical fallacies. You, you brought up some other stuff and stuff. And so now we're kind of vaguely getting into this intellectualism, mm -hmm. anti-intellectualism. Mm -hmm. And so um, maybe I think the heuristics is, is a good uh, segue into these five logical fallacies. And maybe we can go through you know, each one very quickly and then kind of, uh, mm -hmm. give it, give a good example, but, um, willful ignorance, whataboutism, contrarianism, denialism, and self-deception. So like willfully ignorant, like, I think that's almost like a de facto, like cultural thing is that now we've bred a culture of willfully ignorant people, you know, and then that has downstream effects and, and stuff like that. And we were just kind of talking on that. So I, I guess that that'll be a good uh, starting point. Yeah, actually, those are <clears throat> those are perfect examples of of heuristics for the purposes we're talking about. You know, right. <clears throat> intellectualism, reflexivity, and a lot of that comes from um, you know uh, the the I'll just say like the new atheism movement, right? Kind of popularized a lot of that rationalism, and like a lot of people, I was I was part of that at the time. Sure, um, but. Um, you know, as you know, you said you wanted to like go into IDW and Game B territory, um, and and as it relates to the Stoa and my talk, like all of this stuff is connected. Sure. <clears throat> and so, um, my point in that article um, was partly to you know re re very quickly retread some of the old rationalism that that's come before to distinguish between you know what's true and what's not true. Um, and the problem is you see the IDW, uh, committing a lot of those fallacies, like, like what about ism or willful ignorance? Um, and, and a lot of the discourse around the intellectual dark web, um, has been very, very divisive, right? Mm. So you have, you have the critics and then you have them, uh, really having a lot of hegemony in public mm -hmm. discourse, mm -hmm. but <clears throat> 
I think it, it's so it's so hard to pin down what is intellectual at the, at the end of the day. That was part of part of what I was getting at. Mm -hmm. But at, at the same time, we the IDW is such a clear cut case. If you look at it objectively, if you're not deeply um, involved or, or committed to it, you know, you, you can see the kind of uh, hypocrisies manifesting like they're, they're first and foremost kind of free speech advocates, but then they're literally trying to silence uh, activists and critics and, and teachers even that are trying to teach critical thinking, critical mm -hmm. approaches to things. Which, uh, which, you know, so nothing today, it, because it's salient, you know, nothing is more anti-intellectual than this reaction to critical race theory. Right, right, right. right. <laughs> um, I mean, even recently, did you see uh, DeSantis, uh, the governor of Florida, just signed the, the bill, basically, like, you have to basically say what your political leanings are. And it's like, whether mm, that's constitutional that. or not, whether that's like whatever, mm. it's like, that is hilarious and ironic. The fact that these free speech advocates, you know, that this should be the rallying cry of rallying cries. If you were like had yeah. the coherence of the argument that you've been putting forth, but then that that's what we get to the discourse of like, well, then uh, is it just more education on more and more people seeing these things than being able to call them out? Because it just seems like they're still doing it because they can do it because there's a lot of money involved. There's a lot of, you know, prestige, power, et cetera, because these aren't people that are just, you know, off the block. I mean, Jordan yeah. Peterson, he, I mean, he has a following. Sam he Harris has a following. Mm -hmm. Joe Rogan, all these people have a following, you know, so. Mm -hmm. And, and Steven Crowder has a huge following. Yeah. Right? And I, I and that debate up. with Sam Cedar. Oh my yeah. God, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so a, a point I want to drive home along these lines is that, um, you know, very, uh, very much a lot of what we um, uh, validate or behold as public discourse is not actually like transparent. It's not talking about the thing it thinks it's talking about, mm, right? Mm. So, so all of the hysteria around critical race theory, that's not what it's about. It's about something else. And so the best heuristic takes of that are uh, not to oversimplify, but the best right. takes are like, well, this is really just a manifestation of deep kind of racial inequality mm -hmm. and anxiety around racism and talking about racism, nothing new, right? Yeah. But that, that, while that's true, that doesn't get through to anybody. It's, it, it's not received as a persuasive argument. And the, I, I, I mentioned Crowder because it's, <clears throat> because it's on my mind and he does have a huge following, but it's, it's so interesting. You know, I watched, I watched majority report and Crowder in the days after kind of looking at how both sides reflected ah, and what okay. the fallout uh -huh. was. Right. And, they're 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 basically saying the same thing about each other i can you know? imagine so i can imagine <laughs> the exact yeah. the exact yeah, same yeah, yeah. thing this guy and, did this that guy did that yeah. this is and bullshit. So yeah it, it, it's frustrating you know i i have a good time laughing at it but that's fundamentally not what i want right no so yeah the, exactly this is I unproductive want, as shit like come yeah. on guys <laughs> like yeah and so anyone who has that approach is kind of left out in the cold too because that's funny you know, how do you, how do you intervene? How do you talk about it? And so mm -hmm. go, coming back to the point of like, m again, most of what passes for public discourse, whether it's coming from the New York times or a think tank is not about the thing. It's not about what people think it's about. And so mm. I realized a long time ago, I think just how 
captured and carried we can be by different discourses, different jo job opportunities, sort of like socio-ecological niches to to live and thrive in, right? And that's well, I mean, why... look at Glenn, Green Glenn Greenwald. I mean, he's mm. the poster child of this, I think, in, in mm. my eyes, you know, as someone that like, you broke the Snowden story. Oh my gosh, mm. you are the paragon of free speech and, you know, all this stuff, I get holding truth to power. And then now it's like, you are, you, you have to, like, you literally, I watch what you do and you just play fights and, you know, yeah. but pick, pick fights to just make into this either or thing, which you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. Another Steven Crowder example, all these other people. So it's interesting that these guys get passed off as this like domain of, of, of yes or no, right or, or, or wrong, red or blue, you know, all these dichotomies. And that's, I think, maybe one of the other parts of the discourse is that like the fact that we're not seeing both in this, like, I mean, I'm not saying both. We, I don't want to get into the centrism and what you know, bothism and stuff like that. But at the mm -hmm. same time, on some issues, there are there are ways to go about it, you know. And and being honest about it, I mean, Stephen Crowder is known for saying, "Change my mind." And it's yeah. like I want to know: has anyone done like a study, like a real study of how many times he has actually changed his mind? Because it's like, mm -hmm. and if it if it's not more times than you haven't, then this isn't interesting. You know what I mean? Because it's like all the times that you haven't changed your mind, it's like, well, welcome to the fucking club of humanity, man. Like you're, you're no better than anyone, but then you have a platform saying that you know something and do something different. It's like, I'm not sitting on my high horse saying this either, but like a little bit of, you know, intellectual humility is the, is the first step. So. Yeah, exactly. And so I, I had wished that an actual sort of debate or interview took place <clears throat> between between Cedar and Crowder or Ethan and you know that th that they all just got over the the surprise and the joke of it uh, and actually tried to accomplish something because when when you look at how they reported on it after the fact in for for both of them they both said um, that they 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 had the um, desire to mm. have an actual debate or interview. So they were both accusing each other of, of bad faith. And to be clear, I mean, uh, you know, they're not, it's not equal. Sam Seeger no. is absolutely more legitimate, more in the right, um, you know, uh, but, but, uh, but there is a critical way to view it that it's, uh, they both failed to kind of uh, live up to their own ideals of wanting an authentic exchange. And but then, but then Stephen Crowder, but right. But isn't, isn't that Ethan guy, like he's a comic, right? So again, it's like you mm. alone, you're saying that I'm this intellectual heavyweight and I'm going to go fight mm. a child. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. wait, what? Like, and then they bring in an actual fighter and then the child mm. goes, Hey, now you get to fight him. Like, that's how I saw it. It was like more of like leveling the playing field. Cause like Steven Crowder, mm. he's not like unintelligent. Like that's mm. not, no one's saying that, you know what I mean? Like he knows what he's doing. Um, but yeah, like the biggest thing I think for me is it, it, when, when I, I had any interest in the IDW kind of world was, um, watching that debate, debate, uh, with Zizek, uh, Slavov Zizek and Jordan Peterson. And I like watched it, like I was excited and then I'm sitting there and then it's within the first minute, you know, the first opening paragraph, you know, things, his opening statement, he's basically like, well, this is the first time I'm actually reading it. And it's like, well, yeah. wait a second. I've just been listening to you on Joe Rogan and all these other people for a year mm -hmm. talk mm -hmm. about this, this, that, and other, and you, 
have been decrying it and you haven't even read the source material and it was like mm. oh my gosh like yes even those people the highest of the high of public yeah. you know intelligentsia mm. intellectuals won't even do the most basic common sense thing to even have it and it's like that that blew my mind and that and and if that's yeah. what's happening in the current stage i just started thinking mm. about all the other previous and the past and i was mm. like oh whoa, whoa, whoa don't that's a black holes black holes but let's keep on like the idw and, and stuff like that and maybe the the debate with zizak of something like two heavyweights actually coming up against each other and one clearly not doing the homework you know yeah that was very revelatory <clears throat> and I kind of knew before, you know, it didn't, it didn't surprise me at all. What did surprise me was actually the admission, you know, the way Peterson was oh. up there and his opening statement was like, well, I've only read one of Marx's books. <laughs> I read it 20 years ago and you know, here we go. Right. I was like, what? what? <laughs> but, I, but I knew at the same time that that wasn't going to change much because mm. even though a lot of leftists say like, yeah, Zizek one, you know, kind of mopped the floor with Peterson or Peterson embarrassed himself. Like it didn't, it, there was a kind of, you know, measurable change in, in the, in the temperature uh, of the public discourse or whatever, what but, yeah. but nothing fundamentally changed. Right. What, right, right. what you had was a lot of Peterson defenders kind of uh, seeding that one point, seeding some territory and being like, okay, yeah, he's kind of wrong about Marxism but I'm still pro-capitalist. Right. You know, right, so really right, nothing, right, right. nothing changed. Um, uh, and yeah. Is that the same critique then? Maybe this is a good uh, segue into like game B. You mm. know, is that kind of the same critique of game B? Is that like, well, there's, there, that's an interesting framing. Uh, and then maybe you can kind of set it up and stuff, but then it doesn't really, it hasn't really had the impact that maybe uh, the, the framework itself is kind of saying that it should, and then we kind of agree that it should, but then it's not. So then maybe there's some critiques mm -hmm. that need to happen, uh, fundamentally. Yeah. So, so yeah, moving, moving to game B it's interesting because, um, you know, I, I got the chance a couple months ago to have like an anti-debate with Jordan Hall. Okay, so that's that's on the stoa for for their patrons. But um, I did listen to your thing with J Jim Rutt as well, and like you started <laughs> pointing back a little. And he was like, "Oh, we're not gonna go." <laughs> like yeah, was, yeah, But no, but I mean, it was a it was a. I, I at least applaud him. Maybe not some other of the of the game B people. At least he mm -hmm. gave you at least a platform, talked with you, etc. I don't know exactly your experience on that, but for me mm -hmm. as an outsider, it seemed like he was at least wanting to dialogue at some level. You know? So. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to talk about that too, but we'll 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 get to that point after okay. this one. So so you know, Peter Lindbergh has this idea of an anti-debate. And it's so interesting because um, you know, watching Crowder the other day, watching his his sort of debrief the day after, Crowder literally used the word anti-debate. Crowder <laughs> literally said, What you know, you know, debates, you know, are, are polarizing. You know, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna have these uh these dunking contests. Like he was sounding really mature and mm. uh, sort of uh sincere. And you know, I'll, I'll I'll sort of give a bit of credit where if, if it's true, but anyways, Crowder used those terms, anti-debate. And and I, I make that comparison because because Peter's anti-debate wasn't that structured and it wasn't that helpful. And Jordan showed up totally unprepared, not mm. reading any of my critiques and and uh, sort of being evasive and and whatnot. So it was a big disappointment, I think, on all fronts, even mm. my, my own performance, I can admit. Um, <clears throat> so. Uh, 
Yeah. So, so the game B thing is, is again, it's salient because they were against critical race theory bef way before all of this current news blow up over the past month. Right. Jim, mm. Jim Rutt specifically. And I'm glad that we were able to sort of bury the hatchet and have a conversation because as, as an artifact, it shows what's possible. Mm. But again, it shows that nothing's changed. Nothing mm. has changed. Jim was, you know, uh, had James Lindsay on the podcast and was kind of, that's his source for this type of attitude about critical race theory and racism in general. And mm -hmm. it's a very reactionary source. And Jim, to this day, sticks to that line. Even as news revelations come up and there's, there's not much that can be done about it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So... Um, <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, the fact I, I, I'm very proud of the encounter, nonetheless, the fact that I took the chance to critique Game B and then and then reached out to Jim uh, to to um, have a conversation which was dependent on not talking about that critique. Right. And mm -hmm. so I mm -hmm. mentioned that in the show that that would actually be a more interesting, more authentic conversation to have. And so part of my heuristic is to look for these boundaries and edges and kind of push up against them and bur bur burrow in because um, like the, their idea of a collective intelligence, it's only going to work if we actually recognize the, the distribution of different skills and, and knowledge and how they intersect. So there's many things where I would happily defer to these people, like, and where I would seek building agreement. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, Jim claims to be sort of post post capitalist in um, attitude, right? But his way of going around it is more libertarian, and mine is more socialist. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, but there's you know, most public conversations, uh, and this is, this is partly why I don't do very many, but why I criticize others so much is because they're, they're rarely getting to the heart of the issue. Um, mm. they're, they're, they're dancing around it. And do you think that that's like the low, like, um, uh, how do you call it? The, like the yeah, easiest fruit to pick? What is it? The lowest hanging fruit? You know, it's just like, yeah. there's a lot, there's a mm -hmm. lot of easy low hanging fruit to go critique, mm -hmm. but then it's like to really get to the complex intersectionality of like what it means to live in modernity. Like, well, strap the fuck in, man. Cause it's, <laughs> it's going to be a, a wild ride, you know? And so I guess like, but then here's, here's my kind of, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say critique of your critique, but like maybe the game, it, it is to be said, like for me, when I think when I just went back home in Tennessee for, for a month, so I was back home having a good time and, you know, di different cultures and different ways of thinking than out here in LA, than, you know, in Europe where we're going. And, um, you know, it, it's like, how how we get to cohere it's like game b saying it to them is like revolutionary because it just depends on where you're at you know and, and kind of things and like i think we're in these hyper contextualized like we're on twitter everyone's connected like we're all in this like you know hive mind kind of thing that everything's happening at such point and it's like but the game b critique to like the game a you know institutions of the past like 
mostly gets it right for the layman. Mm, but then, mm, but then mm. that's what I'm trying to get at is like, how much more is it like the law of diminishing returns? Because I understand where you're at, but then it's like, how much more do we need to push to get like, is it a little bit or are we actually like at the 50 cent, cent uh, mark and we, we're not even close? You know what I mean? Like the, the, the law of diminishing returns isn't even close because we're, we're actually halfway and we think we're at 90%. So I think that's, I think one of the ways that we need to kind of cohere and understand but then at the same time give i don't know cursory i don't want to say cursory credit by any means but like some type of you know scale credit it's like well it works up to here you know and then if you want to talk about it in this level well then we're going to have to kind of switch gears a little bit you know much like i not to get too technical and scientific but that's how i think of like how you know einstein and the theory of relativity and like how we see things it's like it's not that you know that science that he had was wrong it's just that it's not correct at certain you know, speeds and temperatures and this like that, you know, it kind of breaks down. So it's not the most correct, but that doesn't just take out the, you know, bowling ball, Newtonian mechanics. It just changes it at different places. So I don't know if we want to talk maybe about scales of understanding consciousness and then discourse in that way, because, you know, in some of these different things, it's like, this is revolutionary to some, some people, but then to you and I, if we're talking at a high level, it's like, man, you know, they're really missing the mark completely. And that is a critique, but then some people could just see that critique as, well, maybe, you know, they're just not at, at the, you know, hundred percentile yet. They're still iterating. They're still making it. So I guess maybe mm-hmm. going before, between those kind of critiques. Yeah. I think Amy gets a lot right. Um, and, and so, so does the Stoa, like they're, they're, they're trying so hard and we're all trying so hard, but what it comes down to, I think like one of the key ideas of a paradigm shift is how you treat anomalies, mm, you know, like, 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 like datum or whatever that doesn't fit into your theory. Right. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so I, I like to be a, a person who kind of debunks people's uh, working models. Like, like that's the thing with the stoa. Like if it doesn't, or game B for that matter, if they're really promoting this idea of authenticity uh, and, you know, among their basket of concepts, like, but, but they can't enact them to the point of like, uh, not just accommodating what I'm saying, but Mm -hmm. integrating what I'm saying. Right. Mm, So they, they have me on to do a little critiquing, but my critiques don't have the time or the scope to go far enough to catch all the other stuff they're doing, like having Alexander Dugan on to, to you know, in, in relatively uncritical ways, just to, to it helps to promote these different um, heterodox ideas. Mm-hmm. And I've, I, I've, lo- I've lost a lot of patience with the whole idea of heter- heterodox anything, because <laughs> it, it's just the opposite of orthodox, right? And really what we're doing is, is looking at paradox. So paradoxy. Mm as opposed to heterodoxy it's a whole other it's a whole other thing so it's not the anti you're going above it basically and then seeing Mm. it as a whole so rather than Mm. one one of this way or this way it's like well we need to see the whole thing and then if you look at it that way well they're both right and that means that it's a paradox like and that's what is kind of Mm -hmm. messed up with a lot of different things and that's what i think the paradox of even uh jeremy johnson and i talked about you know metamodernism or even anthropocene is the, the really crazy thing is the paradoxical nature of just the human condition is that like we live like we're talking online. We're talking in HD. 
You know, mm-hmm. like we have some crazy stuff. We just had a vaccine go through and basically help out. The, there's a lot of different things happening. But then at the same time, we have insane inequality. We have like mm-hmm. all these. We, we know that there is fundamentally things wrong. And then it's like, well, how can we? And then people are getting antsy because they know that we can't have our cake and eat it too for too much longer. It's like, mm-hmm. it's you know, mm-hmm. you only are playing with house money for so long, you know? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> That's kind of, you know, hits the nail on the head of why I believe. And I use the word believe whenever I go into this territory, right? Because it, it, you, you have to take a leap of faith, sort of, you know, Matt mm. Chrisman, one of one of the one of the much smarter guys of the so-called dirtbag left. Um, I still listen to, and you know, he was talking about faith just the other day. So, anyways, I use the I use the word believe because I believe that there is or there has to be some sort of a tipping point um, mm-hmm. in 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 mm-hmm. sociocultural change, a sort of paradigm shift, and so that's what we've been trying to build. It's not going very well, but but this idea of a tipping point, like you just touched on it about how people, um, you know, realize the, whether it's the diminishing returns of their current lifestyle or whatever, there's a sense that we're running out of time and we are running out of time, whether it's the, uh, you know, a to- bulletin of atomic scientists oh, yeah, with the, sure. the, that or the UN, you know, or ecological collapse, you know, with the, yeah. with the extinctions of animals mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So I'm, I'm constantly surprised that in 2021, with all of the novel uh, projects that there's not more consilience and not more convergence already. In fact, right. I, I think in 2021, we have less sort of salience and less, less coherence than we had during the, um, the presidential election cycles. Um, I, I feel like that, that uh, you know, that window being closed mm-hmm it is such a hard fact to reckon with because it was so clearly a mistake, you know? Mm. So we're, we're into the, the Biden administration now. And like the dealing with it, the accountability of our own decisions. And we're still in the wake mm. of that. Yeah. 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 That's mm. an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I can't help but make some comparisons to the, to the MCU and the, the whole oh. end, end game saga, mm-hmm. because, because it was, you know, we're living through this time where it's like the, it feels like the end of the world. Right. <laughs> There's a lot of eschatology, you know, about that, <clears throat> whether it's secular or religious. Um, and so the movies, while being, you know, hyper fictional uh, and hyper real and all these things, it's it's um it's trying to write its way out of apocalypse, which, mm. which I find very, very admirable from a writing perspective you know right right, right. that's an interesting exercise etc mm-hmm. yeah it's yeah. very it's very woke in a good sense um <laughs> it's uh it's um uh yeah very very self-consciously subversive but anyways what they you know so this is where it gets um where it gets problematic because their solution in the film is time travel well we don't have time travel <laughs> we don't have that luxury right so right. this is this is literally like for for through my interpretation this is the kind of magical realist um moment um or threshold that mm. you you pass through and realize mm. okay well we need something like that where we like retcon the history of the past five years we don't have we don't have time machines probably a good thing we don't 
<laughs> right, right, right. Well, I mean, that, that I don't know if you – well, you mentioned you listened to the Claire uh, Webb podcast and mm-hmm. we were talking about some of the things like the Fermi paradox and and the Drake equation. And, and one of my favorite kind of like uh, solutions to the, to the Fermi paradox, if you will, um, that, you know, there's – our universe is very, very old and it's very, very big. But then when we look out to the stars, we don't see anyone. That's the Fermi paradox. And then the equations say that the alien life should be there, but it's not there. And it's like, well – one of my favorites is, you know, uh, Dan Carland mentioned, it's like, if you really look at, you know, like, uh, uh, extra, extra events that could like really mess us up, you know, imp- asteroidal impacts, you know, global warming, run amok, everything. It's like, well, it seems like there's some type of like, you know, uh, great filter as many have posited and et cetera. But then it really seems like nowadays it's the, you know, use of technology. And I don't want to get too like ethical, philosophical, but sort of, you know what I mean? It's like the use of it and what we do with it definitely is uh, done by our environment and what our past and history are. But like, it's really up to us, like where we shape it. And then I think one of the big things uh, with with that is, is that Dan Carlin said, it's like a pass fail grade. You know, it's like, we basically uh, you, you either like pass or fail. And by the nature of it being a pass fail grade, most Thing, you know, people fail and you can just start kind of start looking at us and it's like, well, we're way more down that road than the road mm-hmm. of like utopia or like, you know, sentience or whatever the hell you want to call more going towards the abundance direction. It's like we are highway to helling it right now. And, mm-hmm. and I, everyone is noticing, too. So it's not like some secret in it. And but then at the same time, it, we don't really have the collective action. Uh, we maybe have the collective intelligence, but we don't have the collective action to like put, put forward. And mm-hmm. that's maybe the biggest critique mm-hmm. of intellectualism in general or, you know, sitting here and talking and not doing, mm-hmm. you know, et cetera. Yeah, I think I think that's the key. Collective action is a, a central problematic of of sociology, and maybe not maybe something I've not spent enough time with, to be honest. Mm. Because because we are so paralyzed, it's like you you know I always um, as a heuristic advocating going for the exact thing, the exa- exacting diagnosis of the I, of the problem, and exactly myself that. included. Yes, yes. So yes. yeah, collective action, and and this is the thing with the the election cycle you know and it's not people say it's the the american situation is the american pathology is unique to itself mm-hmm. uh, and I, I kind of agree with that but this is all, all over the world too just d- dysfunctional right, right. politics but america is is you know still a, a a key actor we can't downplay at all the situation there and so um yeah, for me, this is what went wrong. Okay, you actually, we actually had enough of a majority to win. <clears throat> you know, mm. this is a this is a kind of whatever hypothetical, but mm-hmm. let's say let's say that we had we had the the uh, the surge, the kind of uh, populist, if you will, energy. Um, okay, but like but, we saw last year with the Black Lives Matter movement and mm-hmm. stuff like in that kind of vein, if you will. Well, both both elections. So twenty. Okay, okay. So I see what you're saying. I see yeah, you're saying. I'm yeah. I'm I'm always talking about both because right, right, right. There's not, a, you can't separate them. You like, can't separate. Them. It was a this big deja vu moment. Like <laughs> very the good 20, point. 2020 very good election point. was very much a rehash of the of the 2016 unresolved tension. Yeah, and this is yeah. this is the key reason I was so against the IDW because they literally like sucked up all of the attention span for, for political discourse. 
period. It's like oh, Sam Harris this, Eric Weinstein that. <clears throat> and never were they saying anything really useful or substantive or original um, for somebody who's been through those schools of thought, you know, right, who, who's right. been, whether it's been been through Marxism or been through new atheism. Yes, yes. You know, it, and and not only like, you know, it, it, so so many things went wrong, right? The, I think the left failed to um, develop a, 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 a holistic immune response, right? Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. hundreds of articles and 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 um, dunking videos went after the IDW, and I I felt very validated in my own critiques because mm -hmm. a lot of us were saying very similar things, like, and a lot of it like we've already discussed it boiled down to the fact that like Peterson hadn't read Marx. So why are we even talking about this? Yeah. Right. There's a yeah. kind of this is a non -starter. frustration yeah. there is exactly it's a non-starter. And so look at how many non-starters and nothing burgers take off and, and, yeah. and, and get steam in the public discourse. And, or even the you know, recent IRS, you know, secret IRS files. And the mm -hmm. first thing that's happening is not to go, you know, after the, the, the structure or critique the framework or get bills done. It's like, wait, who whistle blew this? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Like, and then we're going to come out with the fullest extent of the law. And it's like, wait a second, this again, this is, but this is the same, you know, conversation we had about like leaked materials, you know, this is like Snowden and like all that mm. other stuff rehashed in another way and in different actors, you know, yeah. it, and, but it's and the same Snowden, conclusion. You know? <laughs> like, Snowden is still, still a sort of refugee, you know, he's still, um, yeah. what, what do you call it when someone's on the run? <laughs> Oh, asylum seeker. <laughs> yeah, mm, that, that that too. I think there's another word like he's a um, diplomatic. Uh, yeah, he's he, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah, there's some like term for it. Yeah, and it's the same with Assange. And and you know, it's, oh sure, sure. A, yeah. It's unfortunate because because the the Assange thing has become very partisan, right? Mm -hmm. Where mm -hmm. where a lot of lefties have just sort of given up, and a lot of right wingers have taken over that free Assange kind of kind of. Um, uh, theme and uh, I, I'm I'm not shy about it. Like I'll say, like free Assange and you know free Palestine and free Britney. You know, sure, all, yeah, right, 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 all in the same like sentence. That nailed it, nailed it. <laughs> <laughs> but but um, but what I'm saying is the left collectively failed to cohere because um, there was um, various minor things that, uh, you know, could, could have in, in Bernie's campaign or in the leftist mobilization that could have been done different. And it, it's hard to say what would have worked. You know, I like, right. I like to say <clears throat> that I think Bernie should have run third party. I could be completely wrong on that. You know, my analysis could be off. It could have mm -hmm. been pointless and whatever. And may, maybe this is the best of all possible timelines where, where Bernie became part of the Biden movement to some degree and Bernie himself is content with where things are at and, you know, has a, has a high level position as a budget committee. But, but more importantly than the left's failure, <clears throat> because that's such a dead horse, you know, like, <clears throat> I think it's an important conversation to have and to constantly own, own our mistakes and own our dubiousness for different narratives. The, the main failures came from from conservatives and liberals in the center, right? And so because we had an opportunity, granted that, um, you know, things like the Green New Deal were imperfect, mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. but we had a narrative opportunity for collective action to come back to that term, right? Yep, and, yep. To, and to actively build consensus, again, even though it's imperfect. 
And so many people, the circles I was in, um, were either secretly pro Bernie or apathetic or just too involved in other things outside of political discourse to, mm-hmm. to get roped into that messiness. And I, and I say that that was exactly <laughs> the wrong move to, to eschew the political uh, participation and to, mm-hmm. to eschew being a public intellectual, all the things that those roles entail. Because as far as I'm concerned, <clears throat> All of the the, uh, the the good guidance and strategy and and um, sort of f- prefigurative political work to prepare us for that moment it's already been done you know right. the, you know 2016 was not the time to <laughs> jump on the anti SJW bandwagon. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's absolutely not the time you know to fuck right. around, and that's exactly right. what happened. Because um, there's like some different scales, like even though mm-hmm, your critique mm-hmm. maybe uh, at some level, it's like we're at this meta narrative that is really more d- impactful to our lives, to our thing, which is kind of summarizing up or emerging up as the hyper object of the 2016 and 2020 election. Because, again, that pulled in and how many resources and narratives and stuff did that have its uh, its own life of its own? Sorry. Yeah. And there's 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 limitless factors we could point to, but one, sure, one that sure. just popped popped into my head is probably one of the biggest kind of categorical failures, and so it's what Hillary Clinton did, and and I I single her out just to say that everybody was doing something similar, which was mm-hmm, some mm-hmm. sort of strategic consultant informed. Oh, the Pied Piper of, strategy? Yes, is that, that's yeah, exactly, exactly. That's yeah, yeah. exactly what I was. Like this to. all like, went down straight to shit after mm, this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so what I'm what I'm saying is like Hillary was playing a particular game strategy, but yep. she wasn't the only one. Everybody was doing this, right? So the media and and the 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 deep state, if you will, you know, we're all playing this sort of game, and everybody's plans backfired and blew up in their faces with uh, with the Trump election. And then for four years, you have, you know, liberals saying, oh, nobody saw this coming, even though it was leftists who sort of warned and predicted um, and, and advised in a much better direction, right? And then you even have Trump himself later in, you know, um, when uh, by the time Bernie had dropped out and Biden was the nominee, you have Trump saying like, well, it's a good thing they didn't put Bernie <laughs> yeah, right, right. up against Because then he would have lost even worse, you know, et cetera, yeah, et cetera. Yeah. And it's like, wait, yeah. what, how did you yeah. just make that connection right there? Yeah. Yeah. And so the election was so close, right? And you have, you have Biden uh, <clears throat> scraping by to win. But then what? Then it's back to the Obama neoliberal status quo, right? And so yeah. we're kind of all collectively gaslit about that. And then so when we get to this point of analysis, right, you'd think that we could all start to come together again, that the, ID, the IDW mm-hmm, doesn't like Biden. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We, I don't like Biden, right? So why yeah, can't we yeah. converge around that point? But we can't, because like I said before, the things that they're talking about are not about the actual thing. And that's what it, it you know, wow, come, yeah. come to this term like dog whistles, right? Do- right dog right, whistles. Right, right. Dog whistles galore. And it's not it's not the best label because 
it, it, well, sleight of hand is an easier one for me, mm -hmm. I think, because it's like it focuses your attention. It's like that's the oldest trick in the book that is mm -hmm. focus your attention over here while we do something over here, you know, okay. and that, that right there is dog whistling in a sense that like it projects and, and kind of shows where you're going. But then it's like it takes the wrong conclusion, you know? Yeah. Like, and if I could try to <clears throat> connect this logic and this thread with my idea of systemic conspiracy oh um, i i i against I collective action or anything like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the idea of systemic conspiracy is that almost all of us are are captured by by something right mm -hmm. and and that, that doesn't need to imply malice or even like uh uh complacency no, it could be literally just the runnings of like the the uh, bureaucracy of something or the inner workings mm -hmm. and the plumbing mm -hmm. of like some type of, you know, system. Yeah, it could be as benign yeah. as that. And the, the literature, just quickly, the, the conspiracism academic literature basically showed three kind of waves, right? The mm -hmm. first, first, second and third waves had a different approach to conspiracy itself. And you still see all of these waves active today. Mm. But it's really the third wave that interested me because it contained the two previous movements. And um, just like feminism, right, it goes through different waves. But the third wave is really more of a systemic critique. It's when the critiques aren't directed at, um, you know, uh, individuals. So there's not necessarily an individual uh guilt or um implication mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. like uh you, so you can no longer you know point to obama or 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 uh george bush or bill clinton or whoever the agency or, is lost right yeah. mm, or or their puppeteers but i kind of oh, and, and nor yeah. nor can you solve the um the conspiracy theory itself right so things right. like jfk 9 11 those re those remain relatively unresolved to this day in the sense that there's still there's still there, there's a lot of nut job conspiracy theorizing tinfoil hat whatever but but my goal is is not to completely dismiss and disparage that but more specifically <clears throat> that um even with the sort of so-called good conspiracy theorizing you don't get any closer <laughs> right, 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 right. So the I IDW has been doing a lot of of that conspiracy theorizing, whether it's about their own suppression, they think they're suppressed, even though they have huge platforms, or whether it's about COVID vaccines and different treatments. Yep, yep. I, you know, not having a medical background, I, I can say with confidence that that's not going to go anywhere because yeah. it's because it's in the realm of conspiracy theory. But what I'm trying to get at with the kind of third wave. And the systemic critique is for everybody to have a better literacy and understanding of where they are in the system, mm. because the system is so overdetermined, so reified, mm -hmm. like, you know, this is water, as David Foster Wallace would say, like, it's, it's oh, all okay, you know, yeah, love that, love that, it's, yeah. it's mediated by technology, by language, by different metaphysical systems. And so, um, that's why I, I'm coming back to this point about Hillary Clinton. Like she, she was following some protocols as were her colleagues, as were everybody except like a for script. Her. Yeah. She's yeah. just following a script. Yeah. 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 And the, and yeah. the script, the script is, um, you know, very well funded, very well. <laughs> it, it's a, it's part of a broader, you know, schemes of control, but, mm -hmm. but um, it's, it's self-legitimating 
but um yeah they they haven't owned the fact that their strategy did not work right so so hillary clinton comes out with a book after like i think it's called what happened or something oh, like right, that right right it's like, like it's more like you feign ignorance or they put it yeah. on this or that and it's like yeah you're owning that yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah. and so that doesn't impress impress anybody who's who's serious about critique and about politics yeah. you know we right, really right. want to see we really want to see a kind of metanoia kind of owning of one an, an atoning mm-hmm, of one's mm-hmm. fuck-ups <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know um so yeah, but coming back to the IDW, there's nevertheless there's a, a massive failure uh, to to uh, engage in good faith, despite that's what they claim to be about, right? And you still mm-hmm. have a lot of IDW fans who are like, you know, oh, they really opened my eyes in a civil civil debate, and they're they're so reasonable. Um, but if if we drill down in into that argument, it doesn't really hold up and maybe it doesn't hold up for any of us like as the the crowder versus cedar thing kind of showed right we're, we're reproducing the kind of conspiracy against ourselves ah and yeah so, yeah, yeah. this like is that. a kind of macro history approach because there's a lot of good um you know hg hg wells wrote the open conspiracy and it's a really good book just basically saying like you know history unfolds kind of as a conspiracy right. so we might we might as we, well openly conspire to make <laughs> it better and you know that's a good way to put it because like you know the the other oldest trick in the book is divide and conquer you know and it's like that you could you can really see that when you start thinking about collective action in the sense of, of as a framework of, of knowledge, but then also participatory like being in the world and then the fact that collective action throughout history you know what i mean like yes there's a lot of collective action that gets to the point of maybe you know like nationalism you know nazi germanism going crazy but uh at a, at a whole collective action is really like stamped down you know any type of things like that because mm. you know it's you're, you're dividing and you're conquering so you can deal with with lesser units uh, of of influence uh, etc but then now it really seems like it's like uh, uh, which you had used um, uh, a post-truth era, you know, it's really uh, supercharged. And then I don't even want to say the supercharging of the 2016-2020 um, election that we kind of uh, agreed that is one full thing. But then you could even argue that like after COVID now, and I, as you were just talking, I was thinking about how like the difference of IDW, Game B, all these other things would have happened with the extension of like in real life. You know what I mean? Like, because the Peterson-Zizek like debate was in real life. They were together. And it's like, you can't, you can't, you're not going to start talking shit, but then Steven Crowder, he'll just start mouthing off on, you know, social media, et cetera, because he's really not going to meet these people in person. And so I'm trying to think of like how this kind of discourse now that we're coming into in real life that after 18 months now it's like which way is that going to go is it going to be uh really intense or is this maybe the opportunity to take in some of the best things of technology and then in real life because you know and put them together you know because it's like i think one of the biggest things about in in the the critiques uh i talked to vinay gupta when we went to london and and one of his things that he had mentioned was you know we should really do some stuff like in-person events and so now we really you know after covid are going to try and do that because it's like well it'd be great to like do an eclectic spacewalk kind of like little meet up you know we we cohere we talk we dialogue or whatever but then there's opportunity like meet you know in person and go skydiving do something fun (laughs) like maybe not 
that, but it's like, it could be as much as tapas, you know? And so if, if more and more of these communities are more and more honest, but then, and keep moving into their collective action, I think there is some types of, uh, of possibility of not utopian thinking, but more of a, in a progressive light. And then, uh, moving in that direction, I think is going to be interesting now that like vaccines are out, uh, restrictions are, are open. So I don't know if you have some type of maybe what's going to be in the future or, uh, with the in real life kind of stuff. And then if that, you know, what we kind of can see in, in, in that. Yeah. Um, well, I, I don't want this to sound like callous, but mm-hmm. I think like, you know, the expression talk is cheap. And, mm. and I kind of, I kind of feel the same about in real life stuff. Like, obviously we all need some sort of um you know uh real kind of physical socialization mm, yeah um, i can see what you're saying it that, might be that too conferency conferency yeah 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 exactly i'm not trying to say that yeah good yeah point, good so point. so you know part of the issue here is that there you know before um the pandemic there was already a lot of in-person stuff and it makes no difference it's like right right that's People a good are point. still Fair. missing the the forest for the trees, sort of thing. Um, so I'm skeptical about sort of any kind of uh, reductionist modalities. That are ah, like, yeah, oh, of let's, course. Re- let's this let's do, let's do this. Yeah, and I yep, feel yep, like yep. the the Stoa is doing a lot of that. Um, I'm not saying I'm against it. Like by all means, you know, go for tapas and and you know go go to right. <laughs> or whatever. You know, build build solidarity. But yeah, there's it, it leaves much to be desired in terms of where is the you know the real conversion practice so there's a lot mm, of conversational conversational practice to the point almost where it's fetishized but where is the conversion practice and you know mm. where where are we telling those stories um yeah not just the convergence of these different mm-hmm. ideas modalities of thinking everything but it's like okay mm-hmm. well what what is the goal i think that's i think maybe the thing that mm-hmm. we keep coming down to it's like well the goal is is transitory it depends on what mm. what we're asking you know it's contextual mm. and stuff and so if you put this kind of like uh open-ended question well then you got a, a million and infinity of open-ended answers and it's like and we're no closer to convergence or conversion or coherence than mm. we really were when we started off yeah and I, i'm all for you know conferences and workshops and whatever that are working towards these goals um so long as they're they're doing it to an extent mm. that to a, you know, they're really pushing boundaries and achieving something rather than it just being like therapeutic or some kind of like uh, entertainment value. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, you know, like there, there's always this tension between like solving our personal problems and solving the world's problems. And I'm trying to say like, they, there doesn't have to be. Yeah. Right, tension, right, right, right. Yes. Know? Good point. Good point. Good point. I, this is precise again, precisely why, like, I'll engage any type of talk about the IDW or with the IDW, but I will not accept their premises uh, of the, and the framing of, you know, how we approach um, problem solving and dialogue. Well, I think people see that being critical, a Mm -hmm. critique as then now, like you've pushed beyond some type of element. Now it's like being critical is, 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 takes on a mind of its own in like accountability or you are responsible or things like that. And it's like, there's some there, but like being critical is almost the foundation of like how 
I don't know, like this all came to be like, I, I don't think we, we, we get there by not being critical. And it seems like the more critical we are, then the quicker we get to the truth and the quicker we get to understanding our own biases about even going down those roads to figure out what truth mm -hmm. is, because you can mm -hmm. argue that cyclical journey into what is truth until the cows come home. But um, I think maybe one of the things, maybe the segue into um, more to the tangible things is to talk about, uh, lastly, cause we, you know, maybe about 10 more minutes is talk about your organization or the abstract mm. organization. So, um, the abstract organization is a meta think tank formed to provide global solutions to systemic problems, specializing in quote, abstraction and advanced thinking process and social critique with wide ranging applications. So I think like what you're doing is an example of that. Like we're trying to cohere and then maybe we're just not there yet. You know, you have, have kind I had some uh, experience with think tanks, lobbying, et cetera. So maybe let's just set the stage about what abstract organization is trying to do. And then maybe we do uh, like thread that needle about how we go from theory to practice, because again, like money is politics, et cetera, et cetera. And like, uh, even if it's not successful now, maybe we are putting the groundwork into like what could be uh, moving forward in a different paradigm shift. So maybe, you know, just introduce it a little bit and then we can get into what abstraction is and then kind of how we can uh, take that theories and then put them into practice. Because this collective action, I think, is 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 the through line that we can kind of keep running with it, that I, I that uh, our viewers and then you, you and I ha have been more uh, on for this conversation at least. Yeah, I think um, where to begin. So um, the project has evolved a lot. It's changed mm -hmm. from its uh, for its formative uh, version and ideals. Um, not a whole lot, but I'll explain what I mean by that because I kind of. Um, you know, drew up the plans for it, um, but never got funding, right? So it's always been kind of a, just a part-time kind mm -hmm. of passion project. And um, really, I don't know, you know, what would have been different and if, if I had got funding. Uh, I definitely wanna, wanted to produce a lot of like educational content, you know, um, and, and the internet is saturated with that. You just have to know sure. where to look for it, right? So yep. um, because of lack of resources, but also just, other other things happening i decided not to to uh follow through with with my sort of agenda right right so but the the reason i i formed it and branded it the way i did was recognizing you know the kind of paralysis of think tanks um, the the captured nature of think tanks which at that point was like becoming well known right like mm -hmm. well established mm -hmm. that that think tanks were regularly producing um very biased, very selective kind of work. And that, and that on the whole, you know, with over six, 7,000 think tanks in the whole world, you know, there wasn't anything um, really connecting them. And so I was always interested uh, and there's some great, you know, I, my anti-intellectualism article, I open up with a kind of prologue about think tanks because there's a great mm -hmm. resources, great. There's a great resource there that I pointed to that maps out like you know what think tanks are how they exist between academia and the private sector and media gotcha. and government and all these things and so i always aspired to um be in those spaces but then you know progressively throughout my whole life my kind of naivete was stripped away that these these uh, institutions are uh high, very high in abstraction but very low in many cases in kind of veracity or um uh you know um 
ethics. <laughs> sure. Yeah, right? that's to, a good to, way to put it. Yeah. To the point where you have think tanks that only exist to produce like anti-climate propaganda. Yes. You know, yeah. merchants and of so, doubt. Yeah. You know, yeah. Exactly. So, um, so you know, so my my original plan was really this focus on abstraction um, because I noticed how many different things it meant and yet how fundamental it was, you know, as a cognitive process, but as something that works throughout history and mm. is, is mm. history to some mm. extent, like you mm -hmm. can examine the relationship between uh, kind of intellectual history and paradigms and uh, uh, for better or worse, right. Into obviously imperialism and colonialism, slavery, all this, all this sort of stuff, war, um, so, you know, the, the meta modern thing is to like try to synthesize everything from ancient wisdom to like futurist kind of aspirations and, uh, you know, make it real in the present and, and um, psychoactive and transformative. Mm -hmm. And uh, so, anyways, I've blabbed on a lot without saying more about abstraction because that's really the key that's what yeah, it always exactly. comes back to um mm -hmm. and that's an ongoing project i don't have a conclusive answer yet i've written about a dozen articles on abstraction different types but you know it, it goes into money mmt again um the aesthetics pop culture kind of all, all that abstraction and yeah here I'll, I'll read something just so mm -hmm. we can get it on the docket or the 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 uh Perfect. Yeah. Uh, so abstraction is a conceptual process of complexity reduction that highlights the essential properties or first principles of a given object or idea and analysis across different layers levels. The process has limitless instantiations uh, throughout many fields, including math, computer science, linguistics, neuroscience, psychology, but most importantly, philosophy, social theory, and artificial intelligence. So like that right there is a very interesting way. It's a framework kind of how, how to view things and or a lens. How, how to see it but um based on the level of abstraction of that lens like how your movie kind of put it um it, it can get um pretty interesting in terms of analysis but then as soon as you start analyzing then you start seeing how the multiplicative effect of how everything's kind of uh ingrained together you know everything's mm -hmm. interconnected mm -hmm. and stuff yeah and i've i've had some insights that that have been fleeting and and hard to capture right so i you know i've tried to capture some insight into whatever i write and produce and and put out there um mm -hmm. because it doesn't stay in my mind you know and i think that's right 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 that's par part of the problematic of doing social philosophy is that like we can't we can't all be you know like chomsky or foucault or chomsky versus foucault like you know we're we're in an age where and uh, maybe we've always sort of been here but where the intellectual problem is so complex it, it can only be solved collectively right mm -hmm. so we, right, we right. don't we don't need another monograph from from such and such academic right that serves a very niche function but what we really need to do is to have a kind of concerted collective action um, by millions of people in strategic positions right even if it's just all of those people pressing the same button at the same time you it know? needs to happen yeah, and yeah, yeah. maybe it needs to be that simple for people right, because right, right. otherwise they don't know how to how to coordinate
Um, well, and, that, and that's a that's a good way to put it in the operating manual of Spaceship Earth. You know, Buckminster Fuller, mm. uh, Jeremy Johnson, and I talked about that too. It's like you know, the Russians are at the flight controls, the Americans are at the navigation, the Chinese are at the boot. You know, uh, like mm. cargo stuff, and it's like no one knows what's going on. You know, but then right. I wrote an essay. Right called those like updated operating manual for spaceship earth and it was about like it's not going to be one book like this top-down thing it's going to be this kind of uh collective like uh thousands upon thousands of like indigenous cultures your culture mm. my culture, everyone's you know geographic thing intellectual and then it's going to come up and then that's the operating manual for spaceship earth but really like you said the only truism i guess you could say out of all that is that it's it only is going to happen if we do it together and that's like that african proverb you know if you want to go fast go alone but if you want to go uh far go together you know and it's like well we're we're going really fucking fast you know what i mean and it's like yeah. d- depending yeah. on how far we go is you know based on that like how how together are we how collective are we you know kind of deal yeah so i'm i'm constantly disappointed uh, what I'm what I'm seeing in the world, you know, the yeah, right. the, the failure of leftists to to converge and consolidate, um, but especially the failure of everybody else. So yes, I'm I'm hypercritical, which includes criticism of the political left, but only because we're in a so deeply, you know, uh, layered, uh, you know, multi-textured uh, problem. Yeah, it's more like a like a labyrinth. You know what mm. I mean? It's not necessarily even like a maze. A maze is enough like a labyrinth. Like you mm. there are mm. many, many dead ends, uh trapdoors, you know, uh forces at B that will don't want you to finish, you know, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I tried to pick a project that, that was way beyond me and that was like impossible for me to um to to fulfill, to actualize. Um <clears throat> And also hard for people to get, unfortunately, you know. Um, <laughs> well, I hope you're. I hope you're okay with failure then, because like you're yeah. learn, learning a lot. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> yeah. I think that's 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 any uh, critique of cr- critics. You know, it's mm-hmm. like I, mm-hmm. I really enjoy like uh, your your commentary, a lot of the other commentary, because it makes me think. But then at the same time, it's like, what is the next level? You know what I mean? Like, what is beyond critiquing? You know, we need to get like, do it, you know? And it's like, I think that you, you have, have kind of reached that, that limit of social commentary and and writing and stuff like that of like, Mm. well, we either need to kind of come together or a lot of these things are, you know, going to end up go from bad to worse not you you think now's bad you know yeah, it was yeah. like uh there was a meme I, I saw that was like the bart simpson thing it was like this is going to be the the hottest summer uh of our lives and then homer simpson's like sitting there and he's like uh on the contrary this is going to be the coldest summer of our life or the or the you know the hottest um or the coldest hottest summer of our lives you know what i mean so there's always like this little through line that you can uh take from it um but cool yeah so what la- lastly i'll just ask you like one last question i ask everyone this um you know so the overview effect is is when astronauts see the earth from outer space only like five or 600 out of 10 billion humans that have kind of ever lived in 200,000 years have have actually seen that experienced that and i think we've we've had a lot of through lines about what you would say uh if if like you know you could talk to the world or the world is on looking at you and stuff but uh, it doesn't have to be as 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 um prophesizing but like i do want to give a opportunity for people especially like what would what is your 
kind of message, I don't want to say as a message, but what would you want other people to think about? You know, what would you mm. want people to trip over their own truths? Obviously, we just spent an hour and a half. So you have a lot of people can trip over a lot of their truths for this, but maybe one kind of parting message if you want to, 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 to say to, to, to finish up. Yeah, I thought about this after watching your your last interview, and it's a bit it's a bit tongue in cheek, but my answer okay. would be something like, "You fucking idiots!" Like, <laughs> just looking down on the on the people of Earth, like, and I'm one of those people, right? But just right. like, it's like the Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes thing. like, "You blew it up!" Oh, right, right, you, right, you know, right. It's you like, did it! Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. I get you. Yeah, <clears throat> and. You know, there's there's a documentary, right? I think it's just called The Overview Effects. Like, is yep. it like half an hour? Yeah. So I saw that years ago. When and it, then I think they made it into it a out. thing called Planetary. I think it's the full length film. If you want to check that out. Oh, okay. I, yeah, yeah, I haven't yeah. seen that. Yeah. I, I saw a screening in Vancouver, and part of me was like, "Oh, this is amazing! Like, it's mm -hmm. gonna change people's minds." Um, but and then part of me was also like. You know, I already felt this way. I already, like most people, had kind of astronaut fantasies. And of course, kind of, <laughs> you know, or even just looking at documentaries, you know, Carl Sagan, just, you know, we, yep. we have, we had it in the zeitgeist in our lifetimes already. Yep. So just that type of planetary consciousness. <clears throat> so I'd want to just foreground that, just like, yeah. But, but it doesn't, you know, if you follow through, it doesn't lead. This is the thing, right? Again, like we're all being branched off into into different projects and timelines, and that's not how it should be. Um, right, right. That's right. not to say I have the totalistic authoritarian plan that we all need to follow, <clears throat> but we, <clears throat> you know, first and foremost, we need to create the conditions for for health and prosperity for everybody. Sure. That's something that that uh, big state actors and activists could converge on and. Mm -hmm you know, make that a reality. Um, Cause uh, yeah, again, it's like certain conditions have to be met like healthcare. And mm -hmm. this, this is a thing that gets, that gets axed on the, on the, the, the altar of public discourse every time, you know? Oh yeah. And, and then, and then, but then like you said, like they're almost, uh, gaslighting or um using dog whistles by mm. by by saying that we can't do it but then understanding fundamentally that if they did that then their health like the global <clears> health <throat> like if we and it's it's not as as easy as um you know a rising tide lifts all ships but it sort of is in the same way as thinking about it as what's possible and i don't know mm -hmm. how much of like you know we we want to uh put on our doomer optimist hats that's another you know side of twitter that has mm -hmm. kind of emerged as like an interesting little grouping of you know doomer optimists like we know the world is fucking coming to an end what better you know op opportunity to make it fucking awesome you know because it's it's going to shit like and so mm -hmm. i guess uh that, that yeah the echoing your your thing of you fucking idiots and, and i guess <laughs> last thing for me before you can kind of give the last word mm -hmm. is um i there was this great tiktok i loved it and it was basically about like uh earth sending an application into like the inter or the uh planetary you know league of congress or something like that and there's a person mm -hmm. sitting there like okay uh, you know, is everyone uh, fed or whatever? Yeah. And they're like, no, no that's not good. You know, <laughs> yeah. and then it's like, they just goes down the list and the entire time you're just like, God, we suck, dude. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like to aliens or to whoever, like that's probably why the Fermi paradox, it's like, we're not interesting enough. We're still, you know, idiot apes, you know, th throwing rockets at each other, you know, still trying to figure out 
uh, uh, you know, nonsense things when we we could be doing the most extraordinary things, but we're not because of systemic conspiracy or all these other things. And then, but but collective action seems like you know, in collective convergence, uh, planetary governance, but not planetary government. You know, so that kind of stuff uh, is is within our our line of thinking and is within the possibility. So I don't know if you want to have a final word uh, on, on that. Yeah, sure. Just, <clears throat> I'll just, um, you know, I, I make references to, to Benjamin Bratton a lot and his project at Strelka Institute and their most recent kind of symposium was called For Planetary Governance. And that's that sort of movement or school of thought I've tracked for a while now, you know, at least since 2013. But um, there's a lot of explicit abstraction. There's like there's a lot of just lucid articulation of the problem mm. right and mm. so you need that kind of high level analysis but it needs to also be you know very 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 uh collaborative with democratic movements and i, I guess my final thought is i think we're, we're also exhausted from from failing and all these things from trying so hard Good like point. we we just we need to settle not like settle for, but we need to um, settle on a kind of global vision that that is easier to communicate and is appealing to everybody. And so yeah, there's yeah. certain things that are inevitable about globalization because it's like a function of population growth. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of things just happen. But <clears throat> but you know when we when we look at our big maps behind us. We just need to get more and more real about about uh, framing a politics that is honest. Like one of right. one of uh, my slogans for the abstract organization, I came up with about a dozen, but one of them, as it pertains to this point, was honesty is the best public policy. Yeah, because it's like a play yep. a play on that phrase, right? Yep, yep. And so, yeah, we're just we need to to you know to use the tired phrase we need to fucking cancel a lot of a lot of people we yeah, really yeah. do i mean just like but really my preference would be if they just resigned if they just right, right. if they came to the conclusion on their own oh shit, i really fucked up like yeah. if charles murray was like oh shit i've been you know writing about iq and race for 30 years and i've been wrong the whole time you know he could just do an about face on his own right, right, right. have to have to go after him so I, I, I pray yeah, right, right. <laughs> that, uh, that those sorts of things happen um, because yeah, we, we can do better. We can do better. We got to start believing in the same right things that, that will, that will produce and will pay off in, in our lifetimes. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. That's uh resounding yes all around for 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 a lot of that and uh but then maybe the next conversation we have or the next discussion is more along the lines of that like mental ruts and you know getting into again the biological or the uh thinkings and stuff like that so but um brent that that's all the time we have today so i just want to thank you so much for coming on you know conversations with us so i really appreciate it yeah thank you it's a pleasure cool well okay until next time at astra Eclectic Spacewalk presents Conversations, a podcast about the uniqueness of the human condition and how, through conversation, we can continue to upgrade humanity's value systems.